welcome to Mind Money Balance, the no guilt, no shame podcast to help you get your mind and money in balance. I'm your host, Lindsay. I'm a financial therapist and coach, woman of color, and popcorn connoisseur. I am so glad you're here. Let's go. Today's guest is Dr. Alyssa Adams. She is a clinical psychologist and intuitive business coach. She helps therapists, coaches, healers create successful practices by doing their most authentic work. And this helps them to bring in money and also make a really big impact. She has a podcast called The Uncommon Couch, and it's a place for therapists, coaches, healers who are ready to learn new and different ways of making money, marketing their practice, helping clients, and amplifying their impact. She has been featured in a bunch of different media outlets, including Brit & Co., Pop Show, Sugar, bustle, and she's a data-driven woman, and she has authored numerous scientific publications. She lives outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania, and she jokes that she watches The Office just as often as possible. In today's interview, you are going to hear about being a little bit uncommon with money by including somatic practices, which you heard about on the last episode with Violetta Danois. We are going to cover another theme that I hear all the time about cutting back and scrimping and also just getting a little bit intuitive with things. I am so excited for this interview and I'm certain you're going to enjoy. Dr. Alyssa Adams, welcome to the Mind Money Balance podcast. Hi, it is so awesome to be here. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Yes, it's going to be great. We were chatting a little bit before we hit record, so let's dive right in. Why don't you give people the little rundown of who you are and what you do professionally and also for fun? Yeah. So I'm Alyssa Adams. I'm a clinical psychologist and business coach for therapists, coaches, healers. And what I really do is try to help them unhook from tradition and grow an unconventional practice so they make the impact that they feel like they really were here to make in this life. And so that's part of my work. I work with them to grow their practices and get more clients, expand into non-traditional services. I consult with them to kind of create their own healing model by integrating different modalities and creating a framework that's unique to them. So that's what I do work-wise, <laughs> but for fun, well, I do a lot of yoga, which has been my own kind of like mental break within the day. Um, I'll run very short distances <laughs> and that's it really. Try to stay active, enjoy my home as much as I can these, within these four walls where I've been for a while, but you know, you get that. Yes, yes, definitely doing a lot more time at home and, and getting comfortable with that. I love your specialty of kind of blending intuition with traditional psychology. I have shared maybe on this podcast, but maybe not, but certainly over on Instagram, how the year 2020 has really kind of shown a light on the importance of doing some decolonization work and tapping into some of those spiritual practices. I'm really fortunate that my therapist is willing to go there and they'll talk to me about how as therapists, we are kind of the modern medicine folk. We are the the witch doctors and how psychology has kind of been 
you know, you talk about this a lot. Psychology has kind of pushed us into this box of being super clinical and checklist oriented and, and diagnostics oriented. And I love that you fold in other things. So how did you get there? How did you get to the point of folding in these various practices into your work? I really appreciate you saying that. And and I'm glad it lands for you and resonates with you because it's always so powerful to meet other people who have kind of that similar draw, that similar passion in them. You know, for me, honestly, I got really just dissatisfied with my clinical work. <laughs> I was like, maybe this field isn't for me. Like maybe this isn't what I want to do, or maybe it's not the calling I thought I had. So I think I got pretty disillusioned and frustrated. I mm-hmm. felt a bit like a robot that was delivering manuals or checking lists and boxes. And I felt like there was a lot more I had to give that because of my own beliefs that I had adopted that I think we are presented with and I integrated, I thought that there were a lot of limitations on me. And so I practice in this very stifled way and I just wasn't satisfied. It wasn't fulfilling. So I, I actually did leave a bit and I did like more administrative roles. I was an operations manager for a bit. I was in director positions at a clinic and I was doing like pretty much no clinical work for a period of time, but felt really drawn to get back to connecting with people and working with people clinically because it is what I am called to do and it is what I love, but I knew I had to do it differently. So I took training and coaching and I bring elements of coaching into my work so that I'm helping people heal and grow. I'm bringing in elements of myself so I feel really like authentic in the work that I'm doing. Bringing in pieces of intuition into my work so that I feel like I'm using my intuitive guidance and helping people tap into their own inner wisdom because so often, right, we just adopt what we think we're supposed to do and what we should think and what we should believe. And we lose that compass and that discernment. So that's part of my work with other people as well as what I do for myself. Mm. Okay. I have a more specific question as you were sharing that story. How did you know that you wanted to continue in the field, but kind of with your evolved lens versus leaving the field entirely? You know, to me, it was like, I think I have to do what's right at the moment, like at any given moment in time. So to me, it looks right now like me doing coaching for a good chunk of my week and then me doing a little bit of therapy as part of my week. So I think that as time evolves and I feel kind of pulled in different directions, maybe I'll do more of one, less of the other, maybe even more deeply integrate them. I'm not sure yet, right? But I think now... It what felt really right to me was doing more coaching and then like a slice of therapy. But even the nature of the therapy that I do now feels different than it did before. And, you know, I'm working outside of organizations. So I think you have a little bit more flexibility there. But I didn't leave the field entirely because I felt like it was for me in a way, right? Like, and I really think it's important to have those of us in this field who want to evolve it, who want to kind of push it farther and maybe remember back to times when it was more of like a healing calling, right? And and be on that edge of of growth in the field. So I thought it was important to really be here and 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 embrace that. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. So we are here to talk money. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's hop into that. Maybe take us back to kind of what your money story is. And when I say money story, I mean, what were some of the lessons you learned growing up? What kind of beliefs did you have about money and and where are you now in your relationship to money? So, so paint that picture for us. I think like growing up, you know, my parents, 
they're really practical people. So I think it was always a conversation around like you live within your means and you're very thoughtful and kind of cautious about how you spend your money and what you do. So I think there was that layer. And also my dad and my grandfather were both entrepreneurs. They owned businesses. My dad owned a couple businesses and grandfather owned one for most of his life. And there was also that splash of entrepreneurial spirit though, where like if you do some of these other things, you could expand your income, right? You could, there's more possibility there for you. So I think I always had a little bit of that integrated into how I thought about money that like there is more available to you out there if you kind of turn in different directions and and are open to finding opportunity in different places. So I think there was some of that. But then, you know, I worked in different organizations for most of my career. So I remember feeling really like, okay, like this is, the income I have, right? Like I have to fit, everything has to fit within this. And this is what someone's telling me, like I get, right? So I think it was a different mindset when I left my full-time job and switched into entrepreneurship. Like there was a lot of reworking conversations I had with myself from before when I was growing my business. So I started my business part-time as I was working full-time so that I was getting clients and, and building my audience and and starting to build kind of a a savings so that I could feel more comfortable stepping out into doing entrepreneurship full time. But even when it was enough to do that, I was still like, oh, I don't know, like, do I need more? So I think there was a lot to work through in that place. But it is a different conversation with yourself about money. It is like a different way of holding that whole way of thinking, right? Like if I need more, I can do these extra things to make more. Or what am I charging? How does that feel? versus like, well, this is just what's coming in every two weeks. And that's just kind of where I, where I am. Yeah. So you are touching on something that I talk about a lot, which is so much of the personal finance space is about cutting your spending, about saving money, about cutting Mm -hmm. back, about getting rid of wants, but very little of that conversation involves earning more to your point you had kind of been in this mindset of this is what I earn. So I have to figure out how to make it work, which is a part of the puzzle, but the bigger way to move the needle in terms of getting to a place of financial comfort and financial abundance is increasing your income. So if you're traditionally employed, that means asking for a raise, negotiating your salary, potentially even leaving your job for something that pays better maybe even side hustling. And if you're an entrepreneur, that also means taking a look at the prices of your goods and services and not just picking out a random number out of the air, but really doing it intentionally. Which leads me to my next question. You do a lot of work in making sure that we are doing things intentionally and making sure we are doing things with intuition. And as a person who kind of lives at this intersection of mindset and practicality, I'm curious how you thread the needle when it comes to money with making sure that you're not preaching anything that might be spiritual bypassing. And and a really quick rundown for folks who haven't listened to my episode on spiritual bypassing is that spiritual bypassing is what can happen when we say, just do X, Y, and Z with your mindset and everything will be okay. So when it comes to money, it's like, just manifest money and you'll never have to worry about it. Or just trust that the universe will take care of you. So those types of things can be really harmful. So I'm curious how you thread the needle of intuition and mindset and also also practicality in your work. Totally. For sure. That's a great question. 
you know, I think that like I'm an integrated person. So I'm really practical and grounded and I love taking a lot of action steps, right? Like when you are deciding how to proceed in your business, at least the way that I work with people, we want to make sure that it, it kind of feels right and that it's in alignment with your authentic truth and what you want to be moving forward, especially when you get more opportunity as a business owner. And you have to like go do it, right? Like you have to actually take the action and move forward and do things and um, really be grounded in the practical aspects of things as you're feeling kind of connected to um, your calling or, or your kind of healing profession and having your intuition serve as a guide. But it is not a it's not an exit door for the work that you're doing, right? Like we still need to create content and we still need to get in front of people and we still need to grow audiences and we still need to figure out how we're going to create an income for ourselves, right? Like there are really tangible, practical things that are are built into that. So I don't think it has to be kind of an either or, but for me, it's really about integrating all of these different parts of you that help you land on decisions and do what is discerning and right for you and helps like you feel like you're moving in the right direction with your life and your business. Mm -hmm. So I heard using two parts kind of of your work. One is taking those steps and taking those action steps. And then the other part is checking in with what feels good to you and shifting some of those mindset, the language around your mindset as well. You used a yoga slash therapy jargon in there. And I would love for you to break down. What do you mean when you say integrated? How are you using that word in this context? Yeah. Well, I think that like we believe at least identity wise sometimes that we have to be like all of one thing or all of something else or all of this other thing. And I mean like seeing yourself as having all these different facets of who you are and really integrating together this really practical grounded piece of me and the intuitive creative piece of me and the like kind of edgy piece of me that can be like a little bit intense sometimes, right? Like all of those different facets of you and kind of integrating them instead of feeling like, well, I have to ignore this one when I'm over here, or I have to be this thing when I'm doing this, right? But instead of like integrating yourself as a whole person who can do multiple things at once, I can hold different ways of looking at situations all at the same time. Thank you for that explanation. It's <laughs> it's one of those things where I have learned being again, kind of in two worlds of being in the money space and then also being in the therapy space, that jargon can be such a big barrier to entry. <laughs> so totally. making sure that we break down, what are those words that are being thrown around? So, so yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. So tell me a little bit about how those money stories had showed up for you as you leaned into private practice and coaching and entrepreneurship. Yeah, I mean I think I think the money story there was a lot of ways <laughs> that I think it it really impacted especially early on in my business. I think in terms of like now you're tasked with figuring out like well what do I charge people, right? Like before the hospital charged or the organization charged or I was just given a paycheck or right like you didn't have to really sit and think with think about well what is it that I'm going to charge how am I going to structure how people pay me what does that look like so I think that there were a lot of stories around also shying away from talking about the cost with people so that was a big barrier for me where I was like oh my god I have to get on a call and like talk to people about money and here's what I charge and you know here here it is so I think also, you know, there are like a lots of iterations of this, but then figuring out 
like then I was starting to feel like I needed to get into their money with them. Like, well, okay, so maybe that, maybe we can take this off or do this or whatever. And, you know, really having to pull back from that urge and kind of own my own stance around like, this is what I'm doing. This is why. And letting people have their own agency to decide if that's right or not right for them. But it did take a while to get there, (laughs) we'll say. Okay. Why do you think it was easier to hide behind an agency or a hospital when it came to pricing versus, versus when it was your pricing? What made that easier? The thing that's coming to mind for me is that like, it's not me, right? Like I was kind of layers behind the organization, right? Like we were able to just maybe do our clinical work together and they were able to pay an organization. That was their pricing, whatever. And then we just focused on the clinical piece and then they could go out into living their life, right? Where if you're offering your prices personally, you've set them, they're paying for you and your work. It felt a lot more personal. Like I would be personally like how they valued me or how I thought that they valued me or my work or my ability to help them. Like I felt like it was so much more personal when you're there offering your services with a price tag associated with it. So for me, that was hard for a long time. Okay. So for you, you're saying when I was employed by somebody else, the price wasn't about me. And then when I went into my own business, the price suddenly became about me. So where are you now? Because if that was the case, it would be really hard to run a business if you were tying your worth and your value to your price. So where are you now with that? Totally. That was something that I had to like, I didn't know was an issue, right? Like I think you- you (laughs) We don't know what we don't know. Yes, 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 yes. Like you hop out, you start your business, you start selling things to clients and then you're like, oh my God, wait, I think that there's a problem here that I'm stumbling around. So I did work, you know, with my own business coach and and kind of working through some of those pieces and really like changing how I thought about my services, changing how I thought about people's own ability to make their own decisions as powerful, amazing people on their own who can think about their own lives and their own money in their own ways. I didn't need to get into that to those weeds with them. And I think really like feeling more comfortable about the work that I was doing helped, right? Like mm-hmm. feeling feeling really settled in, this is what I offer, this is how I do it, this is this is the value that I am putting together for it. Like in in allowing myself to kind of step out of the equation a little bit more objectively. And sometimes when I work with clients too, we're talking about your business as its own entity entity and then you as like the director of it or the part of it versus you being completely merged with your business. So for me, I had to do a little bit of like separation there, which has helped in a lot of ways, but especially with money. So I think I've moved beyond a lot of that now. Every now and again, I think I'll get kind of trickles of it. But but yeah, I'm, this is almost my fourth year in business. So yeah, a lot of progress on that area of on purpose because it would have really held me back if mm-hmm. I didn't. Yeah, absolutely. So what now triggers that those fears? I heard you say like occasionally those those things they they pop on up. Are there scenarios? Is it a certain type of client? When is it like when you're just feeling more vulnerable? Tell me a little bit about when those things still rear their heads. Yeah, I think it's when I let myself Well, I think there's a couple of pieces of it. I think it's when maybe I'm talking with clients who aren't that familiar with me or don't kind of know me and my style and what I kind of bring to the work. So I think that like sometimes is a piece of it. 
And then I think when I get swayed by other people's reactions versus like just kind of holding my own stance, that to me is a shift that came kind of later in my business where if someone reacts in a certain way, that doesn't really mean anything about me or myself or the validity of anything that I'm doing. So training myself in that way, I think has helped that happen less often. And also knowing what is going to trigger it, I heard, is a part of it, of just knowing, okay, when people have big reactions, of course, my mind gets triggered that, oh my gosh, should I be charging this much? Can they afford it? Maybe I should lower my price. Like you're saying, look, this is a, a pretty constant thing. When other people have big reactions, I'm triggered. So as long as I know when people respond in a big way, it's not about me. I have to tap back into why those big reactions are so bothersome to me or so hard for me. And then moving forward. I love that. I love that. And I think it kind of goes along with something that I have, you know, been learning and unlearning during this time of growth is in the in the business space, there used to be, and maybe still is, but maybe I'm just not following it as much, this motto of charge your worth. And my friend Jaquette Timmons told me, Lindsay, like you should probably stop saying that. And she kindly explained to me why. And her thing, she's a financial behaviorist. She said, we as humans could not possibly put a dollar amount on how much we are worth. So we have to start separating ourselves from the dollar amount that we bring in in our business. And it's really more about charging what the value of your services or products are worth and less about charging for your inherent worth. Because of course, we're going to get our ego tied up Mm -hmm. into pricing and stuff like that. So for me, that was a really helpful separation there. Yeah. That's so well said. Because how do you even start to untangle that, right? I'm worth $10 million for 15 minutes, right? Like how do you even possibly kind of tackle that? Where the way that you reframe that, I think is really, feels really approachable as a way to think about it. Yeah, well, thank you. So it sounds like you've done a ton of work on money mindset and on being an entrepreneur. What were some of the specific tools that you use to get you where you are today, whether it was a book or a coach or a yoga practice? Share with the listener some of the things that you actually did to cultivate what seems like a really healthy relationship with money and charging. Yeah, I mean, I think the first piece of that was to notice that something was not working for me, right? That I was getting really kind of physiologically like kicked up when I was on the phone with people, right? Like my heart was pounding and I was worried about them asking me the the cost of stuff. So I think noticing that early on let me open the door to saying like something is off here, like something I feel like something needs to be different in this conversation. So knowing that, I think just realizing it and not feeling bad about it and just it is what it is. And, and here's the thing that is an opportunity for growth. And then talking about it with my business coach openly, like, hey, I get really kind of stressed during a call when people want to work with me. And it's hard to say what I charge, regardless of what it was, it didn't even matter. So talking about that, and I think starting to like, unwind what it was that I was telling myself about it and how I was reacting when other people would say or, you know, share things, reacting internally, right? Like there was a lot happening. So I think just acknowledging it as like a component of the business coaching work and as the business growth work, instead of just like, okay, let me make a freebie and let me like set up my email series and like all these other things. 
and ignoring some of the other like more tangible pieces that come up all the time, right? Like if you have a lot of sales calls with people, you're going to talk about money on, on like almost all of them. So being able to really understand how that's impacting your practice. So those were some of the things that I did. I don't know if there was any books specifically that I read on that, but I think um, also talking with people who had what I perceived to be a healthier relationship with money and charging and pricing. So hearing how they thought about that entire situation and how they perceived it really helped me think about like, oh, there's these other ways to perceive this situation. Like maybe I can choose that. Yeah. Those are great tips. So I heard one is that you already know your body pretty well and you could notice the sensations that were sending some red flags to you like, hey, danger, danger. This is a scary thing to talk about. So you are wise enough to understand that the signals your body was sending you were off. And what I also heard is that you are wise enough to seek out help. Yes, it sounds like, Alyssa, you did a ton of internal work of like sitting with it and trying to pick it apart. And I also heard that you said, look, I'm going to seek out professional help, whether that's from a business coach mm-hmm. or whether that's from following other people who who show that they have cultivated a healthy money mindset. And I think something that is so damaging in our culture is this I want to do it alone. I want to do it myself. I want to, you know, pull myself up and push through this in a vacuum. How did you get to a place where you were comfortable saying, hey, I need some additional help, whether that's one-on-one coaching or I need some additional help by filling my social media feed with some folks who have different perspectives on this? How did you get to that point where it was okay for you to seek out additional guidance? Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. I think especially for those of us who are new to entrepreneurship, it can be kind of hard and scary to like invest in things early on. But I think one of the things that I did well, if I could look back on it, is that I started investing really early in help because I knew there was a whole lot of stuff I didn't know, right? Like how would I know these things? So taking courses online, working with a business coach, being in different like networking, masterminding groups, right? Like doing those things where I had exposure to a new way of thinking and people who had already spent a lot of time learning and thinking about these things and being able to access their expertise and also pay them for it, invest in their expertise. I think it helped me start to feel more comfortable charging people for my services or expertise that I brought to the table. It just really flowed more easily. And there are people there to help, right? Like we don't have to just struggle and toil away by ourselves forever because many of the things that really accelerated my growth were other people helping and their services and their expertise. And being able to invest in some of that was a huge, huge help for me. It sounds like you were really good at sitting with being uncomfortable. (laughs) I mean, as I listen to you, you're like, yeah, what was helpful was having exposure to people who had different thought philosophies than me, (laughs) which for so many people is really challenging to do, myself included. Sometimes I look at my social media feed and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just living in an echo chamber of people who think like me and share my beliefs. So I love that you purposely sought out some challenges as a way to kind of get yourself to that growth edge, which is so huge. What advice would you give to somebody who is struggling to challenge their mindset, whether it's money mindset or whether it's business mindset? What advice would you offer to them? Yeah, I think um, the first piece is to just know that it's a struggle, just kind of embrace it as, as there and to give you information to 
turn in a, in a direction, right? To as something that needs more attention and to be untangled maybe a little bit. So I think that's great information. Hey, I have something that's going on. Let me figure out where to go now. And I think getting support and help and talking with people, you know, looking toward someone who maybe a friend who had a similar concern who worked with somebody on that or finding people that you resonate with online where you're like, wow, I feel like this person's really speaking right to me. I like what they have to say. It, it feels like the right level of challenge for me. Can I connect with them? How do I work with someone? So I think that there's a lot that you can do if you're open to it, if you're open to looking more closely at some of the stuff that I think as entrepreneurs, we're kind of invited to look at. Like, I don't know if there's been a time in my life that I've had more personal growth than owning a business because there are so many challenges that pop up that you could either like plow through and ignore or that you could stop and be like, okay, I think I need to work through this in a way that feels like good. So what do I do? Let's, let's reach out. Let's get some support. I so resonate with entrepreneurship and private practice as really not letting you keep things in the shadows. Like I've been in and out of therapy my whole life. When I started private practice, I was feeling really good, really comfortable and confident. And then as clients started coming in, it was like, ooh, got to get back in therapy, got to get some good supervision going. I have more work to do. And, and kind of giving myself that permission to say that, growth is ongoing and it's evolving and that different clients in different seasons of our lives are going to force us to say we need we need to do do some work on on some of the shadow side of things that are going on so i love that you share that being an entrepreneur means that you have to be constantly willing to grow and that can be terrifying it's really easy maybe not the most exciting thing, but it's pretty easy to kind of go into a job and clock in and clock out and check some things off of your to-do list and be a pretty good employee. Like really plenty of employers are looking for someone who's going to clock in, clock out and check the things off of the to-do list. But it's really hard in terms of personal growth and development to be doing your own thing. And for the folks who aren't entrepreneurs out there, when I say doing your own thing, I think going back to what Alyssa had said earlier of integration, what other parts of you maybe could use some, some nurturing and some growth. Yeah. So, so getting to the practicalities, what are some things that you use to either manage your money or to track your spending and your saving? What are some of the things that you like to do to keep, keep on top of your money? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, this is kind of an old school answer, but like, I really like a good spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> you are, are like the third or fourth person who has been like, I love Excel and Google Docs. So you are not alone. <laughs> I am embarrassed to say that out loud because I'm sure there are many more like sophisticated ways of doing that. But it helps me feel like I really am in the numbers. Like I really know what's coming from where, what month, what I've done before that month that set me up for a, a great month or a lower month or kind of what are like, it just helps me stay with it and track really easily. If I feel like I have a lot of control over what's there, maybe one day I'll, I'll uh, relinquish some of that into a, a better system, but that's what, what's been working for me. So I'm really tracking and actually each month I track everything that I've spent business-wise, all the income that has come in. I have, a, I have a separate spreadsheet, don't freak out, for my personal expenses and that um, piece of things. So I'm pretty in the weeds with it. Like I like to 
to know the numbers. I like to know what's happening. I don't want to be detached from it. I think yeah. especially as a, a solo business owner, like I, th- there's nobody else who's going to look at it for me right now, at least right now, in terms of knowing what's coming in, what's not, what worked, what didn't work as well as I thought, how much did a course bring in. So I think it's really helpful for me at least to feel like I have my hands in it. So that's what I've been doing. I love that. And I I encourage all of my clients to really get comfortable with their numbers before they outsource. And whether that outsourcing is to some sort of automated app or to a financial planner, I agree with you that when we really know what's coming in and what's going out, we start to really understand what's happening with our money. Because for so many of us, we feel like our money stuff is happening to us. When in reality, we have the capacity to be in control of our money. And one of the ways to do that, like you said, is to just kind of get in the weeds. And it doesn't have to be that way forever. For those of you who are listening who are like, oh my gosh, Alyssa just does Excel sheets. I can't do that. Nobody's saying you have to be in the weeds doing Excel sheets all the time. What I think I'm hearing from Alyssa and then I'm just kind of reiterating is that it is important to not be intimidated by the numbers. So I love that, you know, Excel works for you. Good for you. I I think it's really important that we cultivate a relationship with our money. And one way to do that is, is to really get in to seeing what's coming in and what's going out. Any surprises financially of being a business owner that you weren't anticipating? I think, well, one was just like thinking about like, what digital tools do I actually need? Like, what are the things that make my life easier that are really worth it to me? What are the things that I thought maybe I needed in the beginning that felt kind of fancy and jazzy and maybe I didn't need? So I think some of those pieces around like, what is it that I actually need to spend money on to make a difference in my business and and what do I not? And then what are the things that are really important as expenses that that help me be a better healer, like help me be better at my work. So to me, that's also a really important thing to think about. One of the, maybe like, I don't know if it was a surprise, but things that was interesting to me was to really think about what I was doing in terms of like marketing and connecting with people and sharing during certain periods of time and then seeing what happened with my money or over time for the next couple months or like when when I maybe didn't do as much getting in front of people, like how did that impact my income so that I was really able to see like a direct relationship with what kind of things in my business like actually made a difference and move the needle versus stuff that like I thought I was doing that would be useful. That really would just kind of kept me, I think, sort of spinning my wheels a bit. I love that. And that is really parallel. You're like, so speaking my language with what I teach in my group coaching program for private practice therapists. So in that program, Grow a Profitable Practice from the Inside Out, we do do a week where we get a a good old fashioned spreadsheet out and we take a look at what are you spending money on in your business and how important is that expense to the actual sustainability of your business and how much of those expenses are things like you think you should be spending on because you heard it on on somebody else's podcast, right? And and another part of that is also folding in those personal expenses so we can make sure that our business covers those personal expenses that we need. And I have a line item 
for self-care and self-development, right? So it's not about like, oh, is yoga a fringe expense? No, if that is something that's important for your physical and emotional and mental health, then by all means, we need to make sure that we have the money available to support that particular practice. So everything that you're saying is so in alignment with, with what I teach. I love it. So Alyssa, as we wrap up today, two things, where can people find you and what other kind of offerings should our listeners know about that are going on in your world? Yeah. Thank uh, thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. And it was just a pleasure to talk with you. And people can find me at my website at dralissaadams.com, all one word. And I always have a lot of different things happening. So I run a monthly networking group for therapists and coaches. So people are always welcome to join that. And I have individual coaching programs. And I have a couple online courses, which are really fun to do. One is how to add intuition into your clinical work in a way that feels really good. And then the other one is really how to add coaching to your practice and build that hybrid coaching therapy practice. So those are some of the ways to work with me and um, just reach out to I'm always happy to talk with folks about things that they're interested in. Love it. And tell us about your podcast too. Yes. So I have a podcast called The Uncommon Couch, and we talk with a lot of therapists and coaches who are doing kind of outside of the box work and really innovative and different unique things. And I'm also on there sharing some of my ideas so that it helps people kind of just expand what they believe to be possible for them in their practice. Love it. Well, I will make sure to link to all of those things so people can find you and follow you. And for other therapists and coaches, healers listening, they can take a look and see if maybe those courses are a good fit for them. So thanks so much, Alyssa, for your time and your expertise. This was such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much. into the takeaways with Dr. Alyssa Adams. The first thing that was a theme that I heard in Joe Sanok's episode, episode number 35, in Marie Fang's episode, episode 33, is the importance of earning more instead of just spending less. There's a reason this theme keeps coming up, and there's a reason that I'm going to keep pulling it out and reminding you of it in these takeaways when I hear my guests talk about it. And that's because it is so incredibly important. And in order to cultivate a healthy relationship with money, we have to do more than just sacrifice and cut and slash. We also have to think about how we can bring in more. And I think with this episode with Alyssa, what she helped to highlight is the importance of more, not just being for money's sake, not that Joe or Marie said that it was just earning more for money's sake, but the importance of earning more in, in a way to support your community and to support the things that are meaningful to you. Takeaway number two is the importance of holding space for multiple identities. Now, this one might not seem super related to money, but there have been studies that show when we have more than one identity, which we all do, for example, I am a dog mom, I'm a therapist, I'm a popcorn lover, I'm a sourdough baker, I'm a sister, you know, I have all of these different identities, but if I only align myself with, say, being a therapist, and I have a rough day as a therapist, my clients aren't, I'm just not clicking, my clients aren't really resonating with what I'm saying, I have a tough day, that is going to weigh more heavily on me if 
only aligning myself with being a therapist is the way that I see myself versus if I see myself as a multifaceted human, which I am, it makes it easier to kind of weather the storm when we have a rocky day in one of our identities. We can say, yeah, I had a rough day as a therapist. And the the good news here is that I'm more than just being a therapist. I have these other things available to me. And the way I think we can think about this with money and our relationship with money is the importance of saying, I'm not just a saver, right? Yes, I can save, but it's not the only way in which I intersect with money. I also believe in, in having a currency of money come toward me and spending money toward values that are important for me, whether that's travel when it's safe to travel again, whether that is donating the causes that are important, whether it's making sure you're buying a lot of carry out from your local restaurant, right? Thinking about the multiple ways in which you can use your identities with money to be good with money and reminding ourselves of takeaway one, that being good with money is more than just spending less. And the final takeaway is if it isn't working, investigate it. This is a theme that came up in episode 36. This is a theme that has come up again and again. The importance of listening to your body, learning new ways of thinking, and getting outside perspective tips and ideas. Alyssa specifically said it's important for her not to get swayed by others, right? So when it comes to money, don't get swayed by somebody who's saying, oh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the FIRE movement, the financial independence retire early movement. And if you're not saving 60% of your income, you're an idiot. Like, ah, you don't have to get swayed by those opinions. You can say something to the effect of either internally or externally, I'm so glad that the fire movement is working for you and that's not my jam. (laughs) Like I'm just not into that. It's totally fine, right? So before we kind of sign off today, uh, on the day you're listening to this, it is December 14th, 2020. I have been doubling up on episodes since the end of November. So if you've only been listening to episodes on Monday, remember now they come out Mondays and Thursdays because I have a problem where when I get excited about something, I go all in on it. And then before I knew it, I had like episodes booked out to the end of the spring. And the problem is that now that I've doubled them up, I still have episodes double booked out to the end of spring because I had so many other people that I wanted to have their voices on this podcast. Uh, So all that to say, make sure you're listening on Mondays and make sure you're listening on Thursdays. And a couple of things just in the world of mind money balance. I'll be here again Thursday and the following Monday. And then after December 21st, I'm going to take a little pod break. And then I will see you back on January 4th of 2021. So I'll take, you know, a few episodes off. And that episode is going to be a solo show. I'm going to be answering your questions. And that you can be a therapist and ask me questions. You can be a non-therapist and ask me questions. DM me over on Instagram at mindmoneybalance and say, ooh, I have a a burning question I've been dying to ask you about what you've been covering. And and you can ask me things about your relationship with money. You can talk to me about how to bring up money with your partner around the holidays. You can talk to me about whatever's going on. Just send send me a message. I want to answer your questions, so it'll be fun. I'll return with like a little party of the party being a solo show. Is that a party? I don't know if a party of one 
is a party. At any rate, if you have questions you want me to answer, DM me over on Instagram at mindmoneybalance. FYI, sometimes if your profile is set to private, I don't see your DMs. So just keep that in mind if you haven't heard back from me. I try to answer all my messages. Ping me again. Then the other announcement is that I'm doing another full moon money shame release party. I thought it was a perfect time to remind you after listening to last week's episode with Violetta talking about astrology and talking about intuition and talking about spirituality. I thought today talking with Alyssa, it was the reinforcement of doing things in an an uncommon way. Ooh, that was tricky to say for me. So if you are a woman or femme and you are interested in joining, it is the final full moon of 2020. If you don't know what I'm talking about, full moons symbolically are a great time to release the things that are no longer serving you. So if you have money shame that has been bubbling up in 2020, (laughs) don't we all? Let's harness the power of this final full moon of 2020 to say goodbye to any money stories that are holding us back, any beliefs we have about money that aren't serving us. And I cultivate a safe container. The party is on Zoom, but it is not recorded. It is not replayed anywhere. It is not shared to protect the the privacy of everybody who joins. So that is going to be going down on the final full moon of 2020, which is Tuesday, December 29th. So even though I'll be taking a little pod break, you can still catch me through the full moon. And if you are trying to figure out how to book it, just go to my website, mindmoneybalance.com. It's one of the options right on the homepage is the full moon money shame release party. If you're a woman or femme and want to join me, it's from 5 to 6.30, 7 p.m. EST, depending on how many people join. So yeah, so those are the reminders. Really quick, doing two a week, two Mind Money Balance podcast episodes a week on Mondays and Thursdays. Then I'm gonna take a little break after December 21st. Then I'll see you, if you want, on a full moon party on Tuesday, December 29th at 5 p.m. EST. And then I'll see you back here on the pod on January 4th where I'm answering your questions. So Phew, I think I got through it all. Thanks so much for tuning in. And as always, if you love this episode, take a screenshot, tag me, tag Dr. Alyssa Adams so we can know what you are loving and, and what you are enjoying. See you on Thursday. If you love this episode, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram at mindmoneybalance with your favorite takeaway. I love seeing what resonates with my listeners and sharing it in my stories. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week right here. Neither the host or guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, medical, or other professional information. If you want professional help, please seek it out.